Hey, good morning, guys. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, like Matt said, my name is Daniel. Uh, I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to God's people here this morning. So we're going to be in Genesis 50. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. We're actually going to start at the tail end of Genesis 49, but the majority of our time will be in Genesis 50. Uh, there's some black Bibles in the chairs around you. We're going to be on page 43 in those Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take that home, our gift to you. But uh, if you will, please stand as we read God's Word and show reverence to it. We've got a large chunk here this morning. We're going to start in Genesis forty-nine twenty-eight, and we're going to read all the way through the end. Hear now the Word of God. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, verse 1. And then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with them both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the name, therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he buried his father, 
Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to him, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is such a privilege to be with your people and to bring them your word here this morning. God, I pray just that you would speak to your people right now through your word. That is a work that you do. I thank you for using means and vessels like myself. But Jesus, we want to see you here in this text, here and now. Would you reveal yourself to us? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for sticking with me. That's a long one. You guys did good. I don't think anybody passed out, but I was kind of locked in. So if they did, Lord be with you. Okay, so I got a question for you guys this morning. Little, oh, excuse me, little audience participation. Do you prefer, as a medium for stories, do you prefer reading a book or watching a TV show? Reading a book or watching a TV show? All right, let me see hands for, I prefer reading a book for the medium of stories. Okay, all right. How about TV show? And if you didn't answer, then you're disqualified. Okay. Well, for the majority of my life, I preferred TV shows. Grew up in front of that box, just staring at it. But recently, I've really gotten into stories in the medium of particularly fiction. And I love it. I love how the author builds up these characters. We're not only introduced to them, but they're developed. And then we essentially find ourselves in their shoes, anticipating what's going to happen next. And then as the plot is developed and you see a little bit of the rising action and the conflict 
you, you are just drawn right into the story. And you wonder, how's this going to end? And the cliffhangers, they're just Im- immense. And I'm not talking cliffhangers just at the end of a chapter, but you're talking like series of books. Like, what's going to happen next? And then obviously, the resolution and the epilogue. It's amazing. Stories are an amazing medium to share truth that we get drawn into. And this morning in our text, while the Bible is not fiction, it is true, and this story actually happened, it's told in such a way that we are drawn into it. And there are many things that we are to draw from this. Many of you know Genesis 50, 20, what God meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that aspect of God's providence is certainly a part of the chapter that we just read, but it's not the main part. I think our text this morning has a major focus on death and death being a part of life. But as we're going to see with our text this morning, we're going to see that even in the sting of death, there's this offer of life. So we're going to look through our text this morning in three different scenes. Scene one is Jacob's death and burial. It's the longest. Scene two is Joseph's response to his brothers. And then scene three is Joseph's death. So let's get into it. Scene one, starting in chapter 49, verse 28. Last week, we saw as Aaron taught, Jacob is gathered around his sons. He's drawing his last final breaths. And with it, he has the strength to bless his 12 children. And now, as he has his sons around him, he has one final request, one final command for his children. Jacob wants his body, after he dies, to be returned to Canaan, to the land. And alongside Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and we find out alongside his wife Leah, he wants to be buried, he wants to be returned to the land. And after he presents this request, it's this scene of him drawing his feet into his bed, him lying down, his t- him taking his last breath, and he dies with those around him. It's a powerful scene. And then, in 50 verse 1, we see Joseph, as we often have over the last few weeks. We see Joseph weep. He weeps for his dead father. He feels the sting of death. Oftentimes a sting that we are very familiar with when death is close to us. When someone close to us that we deeply care for dies. And that sting, it often lingers even when we try to move on. And Joseph, in our text this morning, he, he uses his influence as the prime minister of Egypt to honor his father and to try to move on. He, Joseph has his father embalmed. Now, this is a process, as it says, it takes 40 days. And it's not mummification. Mummification has this uh, religious connotation, and the Israelites would have none of that. Embalming was preparing the body for being transported. And in hot Egypt, it was necessary that it would happen right away. 
And so this process of 40 days. And then after that, weeping for 70 days, the text says. And what's really interesting about that is that only kings in Egypt would be wept for that long. And so we see that Jacob was mourned as a king in the land of Egypt. And after that initial grief period had passed, Joseph honors his father, obeys the command to him, and prepares to bring him back to Canaan. But notice Joseph's approach here before he goes to Canaan. He needs to get permission. And he doesn't go directly to Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh's household, which is kind of interesting. Joseph, or Pharaoh's household is, are the high officials in his court. And Joseph says to them, if I have now found favor in your sight. And we're like, if you found favor, Joseph? Like, the only reason why we are alive is because of your wisdom and your dream interpreting. You saved us. Yes, we found, you have found favor. But that's what the officials say. What is Pharaoh going to say? How is Pharaoh going to respond? Is he going to give permission or is he going to be offended? Pharaoh says, go up, bury your father as he made you swear. And we see this gracious response from the king of Egypt. And he doesn't, he doesn't just give permission, but he also gives provision. As the elders and the servants of Pharaoh go up, we see chariots, horsemen. We also see all of Joseph's household, his brother's household, and Jacob's household. Only the animals and the children were left behind, and shortly after, CPS got called down to Egypt. It's a joke. You got it. Some of you got it. Missed the punchline there. That's okay. Uh, the text says that it was a very great company. And it was almost like a pre-exodus as the author of Genesis is preparing the reader. He's setting the scene, not just with this great company going from Egypt into the land, but he's also setting the scene with this Pharaoh. This Pharaoh that is starkly contrasted with the Pharaoh in Exodus. The Pharaoh here, very gracious. The Pharaoh in Exodus, not so gracious, and he pays dearly for it. But as soon as this very great company goes out and enters into the promised land, the land of Canaan, they weep, they grieve, and they mourn as the sting of death is still evident. And so, in our lives, whenever someone dies that we're close to, when we make attempts to move on and bring a sense of normalcy in our lives, whether it's going back to work or sending the kids back to school or having some sort of sense of routine, eventually the cards and the casseroles stop coming and there's this process of grieving and lamenting. Notice the process here. 40 days embalming, 70 days of weeping. It would take weeks to travel back to Canaan and then another seven days once they enter into the promised land. The sting of death hurts, whether it's sudden and tragic or whether it's foreseen and prepared for. The sting still resides, and the process of mourning, lamenting, grieving 
is actually what I think is a God-given remedy for the sting of death, that process. Just last night, I was talking with a friend of mine who lost his mother recently, and I asked him about the process that he's gone through of mourning. And he wrapped up our discussion with the simple statement, death is a part of life. And that's evident in our text this morning, but that's also evident in our lives. And as I was thinking about it, yes, it is a part of life, but life can be a part of death. And while mourning and grieving is a remedy for sin, is a remedy for death, excuse me, the sting of it, it's not the ultimate remedy. It's not the ultimate remedy. And we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But as scene one comes to a close, Joseph returns to Egypt with his brothers and this very great company. And scene two is set for one of the greatest parts, I think, in the entire Bible. We're going to spend the majority of our time here in verses 15 through 21 of chapter 50 as we see scene two, Joseph's response to his brothers. So, in verse 15, Joseph's brothers, after their father's death, they're afraid. They're fearful of the retribution for the evil act of selling Joseph into slavery. And all the way back in Genesis 37, Joseph was just a teenager. And now he's in his 50s. This is 40 years later. And a lot has changed in Joseph's life. Whether it's Potiphar, whether it's dreams, prison, Pharaoh, famine, much has changed in Joseph's life as we've seen. And during the famine, as the prime minister of Egypt, serving and keeping people alive by providing food, if you remember, after 20 years, he comes face to face with his brothers. Face to face with them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And so the brothers, they're going back to Canaan and back to Egypt and back to Canaan and bringing guys and leaving guys. And then the brother that Joseph loved the most, Benjamin, gets caught stealing Joseph's cup. It's kind of framed. He didn't actually do it. But Joseph wants the brothers to return to Canaan and he wants the brother that he loves the most, Benjamin, to stay in Egypt with him. And for those of you that were with us, we see Judah, the great foil character in the story who contrasts Joseph. He steps up and he says, let the boy go. I'll stay. I will take his place. I will pay the price for the crime committed. And there, that's where you would have not just like the chapter ending that you're reading, but it'd be like a book ending. And the next book doesn't come out for a year. And you're like, I have to wait that long? Like, what's going to happen? And then you get the book. And in the craziest twist of the entire narrative, in Genesis 45, Joseph can no longer control himself. He can no longer put on this facade as the prime minister of Egypt. But he reveals himself to his brothers. And he says, I am am Joseph. 
And the brothers, they're stunned. They have no idea how to respond. They, the text says that they're dismayed. They're speechless. And Joseph, he comes to them and he comforts them. And he says, you don't need to worry. It was God who sent me here. It was the providential hand of God who did this so that life would continue. Three times he says it. It was not you who sent me, but God. He speaks grace to his brothers right there in Genesis 45. He speaks life to his brothers. And they embrace, they weep, as they often do, or Joseph. And right there in Genesis 45, it seems as if they're reconciled. And then from there, the brothers, they go get Jacob. He comes down. They dwell in the land of Goshen. And then uh, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, who he meets for the first time. And then he blesses his 12 sons. And then he draws up his last breath and he dies. And we're caught up to our text this morning. Grieving, lamenting, mourning. And then suddenly, with the family's patriarch now dead, the brothers are afraid. They're afraid for their lives. And amidst Joseph's forgiveness that happened 20 years ago, 20 years have passed since Genesis 45, there's a disconnect. They don't truly understand the mercy that has been shown to them by their brother Joseph. And now with Jacob dead, they're fearful of how Joseph is going to get them. And can you imagine living in that fear for 20 years? Afraid of how their brother is going to pay them back for what they did to him? And so they come up with this plan. They send Joseph this message. And the message says, Your father said this before he died. Please forgive your brothers for the evil that they committed against you. Notice they don't go to Joseph face to face because they're afraid. And so they send him this message. And when the message comes, Joseph's response is not how you think. Joseph weeps. But he doesn't weep for the reason that you think. Joseph weeps because that message, it was a lie. That message was fictitious. And again, Joseph's brothers, 40 years later, are betraying him. They're sinning against him. They're committing evil against him. They're trying to manipulate him to get what they want. This message, it's found nowhere in the book of Genesis, in the narrative that we have. And as I was studying this week, a lot of commentators think that if Jacob would have wanted to give that message to Joseph, he would have told him in the last 20 years that they were reunited. And so Joseph is grieved and he weeps. He's betrayed again. And then Joseph calls for his brothers. And one can only imagine the amount of guilt that they felt as they're walking these 11 brothers to their sentencing. They're wondering how he's going to pay us back. What's going to happen? Is he going to kill us? What a scene. 
What a scene. And if you're kind of the, the TV series type, the Netflix type, this wouldn't be just like end of the episode. This would be like end of the season. It's like, okay, final season coming next fall. You have to wait forever. Like, give me a break. Oh, it's a cliffhanger. What's Joseph going to do? Some might think that Joseph would be totally in the right to bring about justice, to be punitive towards his brothers. Maybe Joseph would throw them in a pit. Maybe Joseph would take them from their families. Maybe Joseph would throw them into prison, sell them as slaves. That's what happened to Joseph. Bringing retribution for the wrong that's been done to him. Now's his chance. Or maybe he'll just kill him. That'd be pretty easy. But notice, he doesn't kill him. In fact, he gives them life. He shows them kindness. He shows them goodness. And he comforts them with words of life. Verse 19 He reassures them of his forgiveness. He says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Such an interesting statement from our friend Joseph, who we've seen over the last 40 years of his life as his character has been refined through these trials. Am I in the place of God? No, he's not, and he knows that. What a stark contrast from that teenage boy in Genesis 37 to now a wise man in his 50s. As a teenager, he wanted not only his brothers, but his parents to bow down to him. That's why he told him the dreams. And now, in Genesis 50, he wants them to bow down to God. He wants them to see God's grace and God's providential hand working, not just in Joseph's life, but in their lives as well, to keep them alive. And then verse 20, our favorite, he speaks truth to them. He preaches to them. You meant it for evil. You know you meant evil with what you did, not just 40 years ago, but even today with that lie of a message. But God uses evil for good to accomplish his purposes. God uses evil to save people. In an amazing paradox of life, the means that God chooses are often beyond our understanding. But a text like this is meant to draw us in to trust this providential God. And that's what he calls, that's what Joseph calls his brothers to do. And in verse 21, so do not fear. So do not fear. He says it twice in these three verses. There's no need to be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. As best he can, Joseph will give life. Joseph shows them an incredible amount of grace here. He repays their evil with good. And for the reader, 
this is your first time exposed to this story? I mean, I remember when I was, I'm like, mind blown. Like goosebumps, maybe some tears, maybe some cheers. Like, this is amazing. There's much to take away from this narrative by points of application. Whether it's the character, refinement, and trials, or speaking the truth to one another amidst lies and the grace that that brings. But I would say the biggest takeaway from this narrative is that the entire Joseph narrative is to show us how God often repays evil with good. And we are to do that as well. If you just think about it with Joseph, he was assaulted and abandoned by his own family falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten in prison. And when he tries to grant forgiveness to his brothers, they only turn to betray him once again. But amidst Joseph's suffering, which we see here was according to God's will, his suffering, Joseph continues to entrust himself to God. And he repays evil with good. How about for us? How about for us when somebody comes at us, when somebody sins against us, when somebody commits evil against us? How do you want to repay them for that evil? In a moment of honesty, I'll share with you, I often want to repay people back evil for evil. Just a few years ago, I had a friend of mine very close to me did something very evil to me lied, left me in my life, and it felt like a sting of death. And my natural response was I wanted to repay them in the exact same way. I wanted them to feel the sting. And so I did. And I made sure they felt that sting. But my conscience, as the Spirit of God worked in my life, it bared witness, Daniel, you cannot keep doing this. You cannot keep repaying them evil for evil. And as I meditated on passages like Romans 12 and Matthew 5, God graciously laid His hand upon me and reminded me of the good that He repaid me for the evil that I committed against Him. Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I moved towards them. And honestly, it was a fearful thing because I wasn't sure how they were going to respond. I wasn't sure how they were going to treat me. But it proved out to be life-giving. And not only did I forgive them for the evil that they committed against me, they forgave me. And now, through a genuine relationship, we're seeking one another's good. Repaying good for evil. It's the gracious response that everyone wants. So who can you show grace to? Who can you speak life to? Guys, we are days away from Thanksgiving, which is oftentimes a stressful time when we go and see family and people who have sinned against us. But we have a great opportunity to not just repay them with good deeds, but also tell them of the God who has also done that. 
through Jesus. So as scene two comes to a close, let us not lose sight of this great text. That amidst evil, our good and gracious God is using it to bring life. And that brings us to scene three, the curtain with Joseph's death. Verses 22 through 26. We see as Genesis comes to a close, we got this sort of epilogue of Joseph's remaining days. It's setting the scene for the drama to continue to unfold in the biblical storyline. Joseph, he lives another 50 years. He gets to see his great-grandchildren. And then he makes this interesting provision for his bones. And he says, essentially expressing faith that God is going to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. And when he does, you must bring my bones with you back to the promised land. And then verse 26, he dies, he's embalmed like his daddy, he's placed in a coffin, placed in a wooden box. And Genesis comes to a close. Scene, curtain, close the book, turn off the TV, let's go home. And we're like, wait, what? That's not how it's supposed to end. That's not the end of the story. Genesis, which opened up, in the beginning, God. And then this God, like a king with decrees sent forth, creates everything out of nothing. He creates this amazing universe. He creates this amazing world, this garden, and he puts in this garden man and woman. That's how Genesis opens up, and now it ends with a dead man in a box? Something has gone tragically wrong here. But if you remember, back in Genesis 3, when the sting of death entered into the world through Adam's rebellion, God also gave a promise. He gave a promise of a life-giving seed. And so, not just the entire book of Genesis, but particularly the narrative of Joseph as it comes to, the, to a close, it sets the scene for Jesus. You see, Jesus is the true and better Joseph. Jesus, like Joseph, was his father's favorite son, beloved son. And Jesus, like Joseph, was lost by his father, only later to be reunited. And Jesus, like Joseph, experienced evil at the hands of men. And that evil didn't just change the trajectory of Jesus' life. No, it cost Jesus his life. You see, Jesus, like Joseph, he offers forgiveness to those who betray him continually. And he doesn't just offer forgiveness, he offers provision like Joseph, to those who he cares for. And Jesus, like Joseph, wept at the death of someone who he was very close to. That person, Lazarus. And if you remember, back in John chapter 11, Jesus speaks these words of life to Lazarus' sister, Martha. 
he spoke truth to her when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You see, Jesus is like Joseph in the fact that he did die. But Jesus is unlike Joseph in that he didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't stay in that coffin, a.k.a. his tomb, but he rose from the dead. And he has the final word for death. You see, Jesus is the remedy for death. He's not one one among many. Jesus is the remedy, offering life to those who come to him. No matter how many times they've betrayed him, no matter how much evil they've done, Jesus offers life to those who mourn. And he's offering us life so that death is only a part of life and it's not the end of the story. So it begs the question, do you know Jesus? Not just intellectually, but do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? Have you come to believe in him? Jesus said in John 5, 24, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Crossed over from death to life. The very verse that our church gets our name from, the crossing. Because we want to see people cross over from death spiritually to life forevermore. Sinners like you and me who sin and betray this gracious and loving God. Jesus gave his life and died so that we never have to fear the payback for our sin. This is the gospel. We can be assured of life because of Jesus' death. So that death is not just a part of life, but there can be life in the sting of death. That's what Joseph points us to. That's what Genesis points us to. But the entire Bible points us to Jesus. So let us entrust ourselves to him. In the face of evil, in the face of death, anticipating all the more the life that is offered by Jesus right now to be received by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a great privilege to sit at your feet. I thank you so much for this amazing text. And God, I do pray as people are here, as maybe they're meditating on the sting of death in their life and how the process of mourning is maybe still fresh, from that sting of death, Lord Jesus, I pray just that you would meet them in their mourning and comfort them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer life in the face of death. And even in relationships, that betrayal and sin and evil is rampant. Lord, I pray just that you would continue to work in our lives on our consciences and through your word to repay not evil for evil, but to repay evil with good. 
God, I thank you that you've done that chiefly through your son Jesus and the evil acts that we've committed. And I pray just that we would be not just grieved or afraid of retribution, but that we would see that that retribution culminated with Jesus on the cross. So as we come to the table here and now, would you continue to work by your spirit and through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.